listen, you cannot say Black Lives Matter and not mean all Black Lives Matter. Intersectionality is a thing, and some people experience the world differently than others, and especially taking this time, focus on Black lives, focus on queer Black lives. That's what I'm doing. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, we have our dear friend Eden Nay. And you may remember Eden from our previous episode that focused on the Prism Project, which they played a huge role in creating. So Tulsa Reaches Out partnered with several Tulsa area organizations to conduct a needs assessment survey to provide outreach, create advocacy groups, and guide policymakers about the needs of Tulsa's sexual and gender minorities, commonly referred to as the LGBTQ plus community, or as Eden uses in this episode, people who are queer. So Tulsa Reaches Out commissioned the Hope Research Center at the University of Oklahoma, Tulsa to conduct the survey. More than 800 anonymous surveys were completed and analyzed. God bless you, Eden. (laughs) The steering committee met over an 11-month period to inform the design and promotions of the survey and analyze and interpret the findings. And from this effort, a 73-page report was released in November 2019. And the link to that report is in the show notes. And so aspects of that PRISM project focused on mental health. And in our last episode with Eden, we talked a lot about that. And just to hit some of those highlights, most adults report high levels of hope and flourishing, indicating that they have set positive goals for their lives, identified pathways to achieve those goals, and have high levels of agency. The challenges participants reported were significant high exposure to childhood trauma, Nearly two-thirds reported two or more adverse childhood experiences, which is much higher than the national rate of 38%. And the report found that mental health diagnosis and serious psychological distress are prevalent among respondents, especially among youth. Despite such high rates of mental health diagnosis and psychological distress, just over one in four adult participants report currently seeing a mental health professional. Of those who ever discussed their identity with a professional, nearly 20% reported the professional actually attempted to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. And among this group, suicidality is strikingly high. 21% of adults, which is five times the national average, and 59% of youth, which is three times the national average, reported suicidal ideation. And 3.8% of adults and 21% of youth reported having attempted suicide. And so, as you'll hear, this conversation began as an opportunity to talk with our friend Eden about how they celebrated Pride Month. But inevitably, our conversation turned to racial injustice in America and what that means for people who are queer. And so after my conversation with Eden, I went back to the Prison Project and I found this statistic, which I think is especially poignant considering what we're talking about. And that statistic is that gender minorities and African-American respondents reported high rates of negative experiences with law enforcement. And as you'll hear in this conversation, Eden talks about intersectionality. And honestly, I didn't know what that meant. And what I found online is basically uh, this wonderful explanation and it says that Intersectional theory asserts that people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression, their race, class, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion, and other identity markers. Intersectionality recognizes that identity markers, for instance, woman and black, 
do not exist independently of each other and that each informs the others, often creating a complex convergence of oppression. And it says that understanding intersectionality is essential to combating the interwoven prejudices people face in their daily lives. I just love that. And so with that, let's get this conversation started. The mental health download starts now. Eden, welcome back to the mental health download. We're so glad you're here. And my first question is just tell us about how you celebrated pride month. Well, it almost seems like pride month is lacking any pride events because of course we're in lockdown, a lot of the pride parades were canceled. I don't like people enough to go to them. Even if they were going on, I tend to freak out in crowds. So I just stay at home. I'll put on my makeup and wear like prideful clothing. I did actually get um, <laughs> some shoes that were rainbow colored and they came in the mail last week. And like, I haven't been able to wear them yet, but I have them and they made me feel good about myself. It's very interesting time in the sense that the queer communities have a tendency to appear to be white and generally male. Like when you start talking about representation in media and in some conversations I have with people I know, we start talking about like, oh, representation. And it's generally a white gay man who is masculine acting. And even the movie Love, Simon, for all that it was, I watched it and I had a hard time relating because they portrayed Simon as this, oh, I'm not that kind of gay. And the whole, the other characters that was gay, I related to him, even though I thought that he was or trans or gender minority type of person. And then come to find out, oh, it was just building up so that he was just a really femme gay. And that's okay. But I really didn't appreciate the whole, well, I'm not that kind of gay. And he was... I remember correctly, he was also a person of color and queer people of color generally get tossed out, which is infuriating. And I think it's a special time right now because we're, people are having conversations about black lives and how that relates to the queer community. There's even updated flags now that has like brown and black stripes along with the rainbow, which is interesting to me because Racial identities and ethnic identities aren't necessarily queer in themselves, but lately I've been on this pathway of analyzing what does it mean to be queer. Queer, I'm tired of doing research and scholarly work. That's what I am. I'm academic by heart, but I'm tired of doing that work and constantly defining myself and people like me by what I'm not. Queer people are not just not being straight and cisgender. Queerness can be defined on its own. Just like being black entails a whole lot more than just not being white. And so part of my research lately has been in how do we define being queer? And one of the terms that I use frequently is queer folks, which is F-O-L-X. It's a bit, it might seem a bit strange because folk is not a gender term, but it's an intentional, intentional shift of language to highlight, hey, there are people in among queer folks who are generally not included. So we have bisexual erasure. We have people who are asexual and they're constantly erased. There's still hypersexuality, hyposexuality, or the lack of sexual attraction to someone is still listed as a disorder 
in the DSM-5, except if the person identifies as asexual, which if people don't know that it exists because we continually erase it, how are they going to identify that way? It's frustrating to me. So using queer, queer folks with FOLX is my way in research of saying, hey, I am drawing intentional focus and attention to the people who are generally not included. And oftentimes, they are queer people of color, specifically like trans black women alike. I think I went on a tangent there. <laughs> As we've all dealt with the trauma of the deaths and murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmed Aubrey, from your perspective, what has that been like? How have you dealt with that? Yeah. So it has been frustrating, <laughs> to say the very least. I... I'm a white person. I think obviously this might not be obvious on a podcast, but I'm a white person. I grew up in a very white town. It was infamous for only a few decades before I moved there of having a big sign saying, beware of blacks at night. Like it was one of those places. And also with my upbringing, I was very isolated. So even though I didn't have much of a social circle, pretty, I've never had any people of color in there. So when I went to college, it was very much, a, oh, there's like many people experience in college of like, there's more out there in the world, things like that. All that to say, my perspective is very limited in the sense of I'm learning. I do experience frustration at the sense of I'm studying social work. I'm studying sociology. I'm trying to figure out why does society have all of these problems that we know about, but we just don't do anything about the whole aspect of police brutality, we've known about this problem for so long. <laughs> we know about the racial, the racially oppressive side of law enforcement, and that's part of why they were created in the first place. Like, we've known about this forever, and yet nobody wanted to talk about it until, to my knowledge, and might just be because I'm too young, but to my knowledge, um, the Ferguson unrest is what Wikipedia calls it, <laughs> but basically the murder that happened there. And it does very much seem to me, as someone who tends to be on the outside of things, seems to be one of those like, hey, this is happening, but okay, we're not going to do anything about it. And there's a lot of issues like that. So for example, the gun violence at schools you with for March for our, March for our lives. Uh, you had children on the streets begging, begging, stop, like protect us. Like <laughs> you have black children on the street saying, "Stop shooting us!" And like, if your children are begging you and you won't listen to them, what's happening? It makes me angry, and not necessarily in the sense of. A lot of the, the whole white guilt thing is like, what can I do? And I'm not necessarily, I watch a lot of my white colleagues. It's about, and they're like apology letters. And I have a colleague who works for like a theater agency. And recently the leader put out this statement and it was all about them as a white person. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> this month is not about you. This Black Lives Matter movement is about Black lives. And last I checked, you aren't included in that. I had the opportunity to go to a Black Lives Matter protest 
a couple of weeks ago and like I had some friends ask me like let's make signs and stuff I'm like I'm not going to hold a sign like I don't have anything to say other than to present my body as support like I'm here to support that's all I can do because this is my heritage but this is not my story but it it becomes obvious to me that there's a tendency to make everything about us and as white people the world has kind of centered around us for so long and we've gotten away with it and now it's time to like hey we aren't the only people in the universe so i've been trying to read more of michelle alexander i'm reading oh i can't remember the author's name but the book how to be an anti-racist trying to highlight people and their own stories what i tell people about doing queer research is this isn't a brand new subject. <laughs> Queer scholars have been around for a long time and stop trying to apply theories and models that work for non-queer people and trying to apply them in the exact same way because you're ignoring the long-standing tradition of scholarship that have been done by queers for queers and it's a very similar thing with black tradition black feminism's been around for a long time why because feminism always ignored black females it's just that is what i'm focusing on this month it's because it is interesting that it is pride month and i've seen some <laughs> i i have very little social media or anything but sometimes i'll just get on youtube and watch videos and I saw one can't remember where it came from but it was a a black woman saying you're talking about black lives matter but the moment a trans woman comes on the stage I was like oh but not those okay listen you cannot say black lives matter and not mean all black lives matter because intersectionality is a thing it's kind of baffling to me because i live in a little bubble that people don't understand intersectionality as just common sense they're like oh if you believe in intersectionality we just aren't going to get along i saw once and i was like wait <laughs> what do you mean believe in it like all aspects of who you are inform your experience in the world and having the black lives matter renewed black lives matter protests happening in pride month remind us hey intersectionality is a thing and some people experience the world differently than others and especially taking this time focus on black lives focus on queer black lives that's what i'm doing so what would you say from your own personal experience not as a mental health professional but perhaps friends who are black and are a member of the queer community what have you noticed as far as maybe how racial injustice has affected their mental health can you speak to that there is the idea that trauma that happens within a group of people even though it doesn't touch you it still affects you I'll give an example from my own the Orlando Pulse shooting Pulse club shooting that happened was very influential in my life and it is what actually inspired me to work toward coming out and getting myself into that place partially because someone whom I loved had just called me the day before and had a conversation with me about a Christian music artist who had just come out as gay and the person said well, if God really loves him, he'll take his life, which that, of course, makes him, only makes sense in context of my childhood. So <laughs> we won't go there. But 
the next day, 50 people died. And a lot of them were queer people of color, specifically Latino people. And it was a, there was just this sense of like, hmm, was that an act of God's love? And something kind of just shifted in my psyche, I guess. And I was like, no, that's not true. So that was a pivotal moment where like, I started working toward coming out, getting myself into a safe space to do that. In similar fashion, within the past couple of years, the shooting, I believe it was in El Paso, that targeted Latinx people, that, of course, is going to have a, a large impact on the Latino community. I knew some people after the Pulse shooting that parents were calling up their queer kids being like, are you okay? Are you safe? Because you never really know. Like, all of these things happen so quickly. And for this one in general, there's all the research, all the stories that I hear is that Again, just because we are just, we are only now talking about police brutality as if it's a valid subject. This is the lived reality for many black folks, specifically black men. I read a book from a decade ago that cited research from a decade before, and it was talking about black men just knowing to put their heads down, put their hands up, hands up, don't shoot. It's been around forever. There's no way that these shootings aren't affecting black men everywhere. And it's so baffling to me that more and more videos are still coming out. Like after George Floyd incident, there's the incident of like a cop in Tulsa stopping two black men for just crossing the street. And it's like, what is going on? Like you'd think that even if you're racist or whatever, you would put your head down, like stop. What the hell is happening? And that's baffling to me. And it's one of those, like, this isn't my story, so it doesn't affect me that badly. But I can't imagine um, what it is for other people. And it's not to say that it does affect everyone. Um, The Black community is not a monolithic body. They have a diverse set of opinions. It seems like after every tragedy, we say, well, maybe this is the moment where things will change. And then they don't. But it really does feel that there are some very serious changes that are happening as far as racism in our country. I really hope for the best. I think that people are, their minds finally are open and we are seeing very dramatic changes happening and hopefully we will continue to see very dramatic changes. So my question is, do you think that these opening of minds will have an effect on how people treat and respect and have compassion for people in the queer community? Angela Davis said that she's never seen anything like this and she's been in the work for a while now. And that's encouraging to see the leaders of civil rights movements say, like, this has the potential to be big, but that's <laughs> not enough. That you can't just say, oh, changes happened. And then we wash our hands and now we're a happy utopia. We're in this for the long haul. So your question, it's interesting because there's a tendency to see And maybe it's the tendency of like statistics and like you have a certain percentage of black people feel this way or whatever. And then somehow we're tempted to view all black people feel that way or queer people are at a heightened risk of feeling 
at a heightened risk for anxiety and depression, but that doesn't mean all of them will. The conversation needs to be incredibly nuanced, incredibly sensitive, and <laughs> just because we can call our, go to a few protests, call ourselves anti-racist, talk to a senator, vote the right way, whatever, that doesn't absolve society of its need to make I don't really, well, yeah, to make reparations, to make um, reconciliation efforts, it's going to take a long time. And that's part of what it means to be part of human society, that change will always be necessary. So I have a, I have a long-standing motto of just asking, okay, if people are saying, oh, this is good, then I'm like, okay, it's good for whom? Who is it not good for? There's always going to be someone that slips through the cracks and constantly have to keep our minds open and our eyes open for that and not put people in boxes they don't want to be in. Going back to the prison project, you had a hope with that project when, it, when, when you finished it. What do you hope that legacy will be? What do you hope the impact will be? going forward, especially in light of how the world has changed during this COVID era, during this racial injustice era. So in light of all of that, what do you hope the prison project continues to do um, going forward? It's kind of still the same hope that I had doing the project is that the work keeps moving forward. Just because you had one survey doesn't mean you're done. In another five, ten years, we're going to need to do another one. And the advocacy efforts can't stop. The people are always going to have needs. I think it was, I hate to throw out like a, <laughs> a religious reference here, but Jesus said the poor is always going to, poor are always going to be with you. And that kind of alludes to what I said before of there's always going to be work. And as soon as you stop, critiquing things and criticizing and advocating, that's when we stop growing. So my hope going forward is that continuously assess the situation and look at Tulsa and say, okay, we've made this progress. Where do we go next? I think it would be extremely beneficial for our next assessment or the next research, maybe not with Prison Project or Tulsa Reaches Out, but something we need to we need to do some major study about racial issues and racial matters i think and that was one criticism that some people had of the prison project and even i had of it is that we did a hyper focus on queer issues and we talked about like queer experiences with law enforcement but we didn't ask about racial experiences with law enforcement at the time that seemed okay because we were hyper-focused on LGBT issues. But now it does seem, especially this month, it does seem that you can't really separate the two. People are people, and they don't go into neatly into boxes and categories. We have to start viewing things more holistically. So that's where I'm hoping to go. How do I make it better? Yeah. Um, one of the, the questions as a white man that I have been doing research on and having conversations 
what can I do? You know, as, as an ally to people who are people of color, what can I do to acknowledge my white privilege, to support this cause, to not just stop when this current movement seems to come to an end that we continue. So I think what I'm, what my question is for you as an ally of people who are queer, what can I do? I had this conversation recently with my partner of, it's very easy for, we were talking specifically about philosophy. So bear with me, this is an analogy. But we're talking about philosophy and Western philosophy has usually been a bunch of white men talking about conversations that aren't theirs. It's okay to engage in conversation, but we have to understand that the more and more, like, people like us, you and I, who are white, having these conversations. It's just an ocean of voices that's drowning out the people who have already been having the conversation, and it's their conversation. Discourse does not belong to us. And it there is there is the strong urge to, like, I need to do something, because we're so used to being able to do something. And I think it would be very beneficial for us to sit back and be like, okay, I can't do anything because this isn't my place to do anything. All I can do is listen. If you have a platform, highlight black voices, highlight queer voices of color. They're having these conversations, I guarantee it. And the only reason that we haven't heard them is because we haven't been open to seeing them. So that's my advice is shut up and sit down. <laughs> yes. Yes. So are there, so where resources maybe online, would you direct people to help them better understand to, as they sit down and shut up and listen? <laughs> oh, I'm a terrible person to ask for that because I kind of, Am I Luddite? I hate, I don't have any social media. I I read books, man, and not ebooks. I read them on paper. So <laughs> I would say I'm aware of a thing called Twitter, and there are so many advocates on Twitter now. Gosh, there are YouTube. I watch a lot of like YouTube videos, and there are people on there. Cat Black is one of them. There's what Julesy. There's a, there's there's so many out there, and they have these conversations, they support one another and just dive in, look them up, you'll find them. Look up, just easily Google like best black YouTubers, best gay YouTubers like that. And the weird websites have lists of them. They're out there. I can't really give any better information than that because <laughs> I don't, I don't have any, I don't do those things. <laughs> Is there a person of color who is queer that you admire and would direct people to learn more about? Lately, I have a hard time calling her national because she's just someone who talks on YouTube and I find her opinions super fascinating. Her experiences are, she's very thoughtful. Her name is Kat Black, K-A-T, and then Black is like the French spelling. It's B-L-A. Q-U-E, I think. She's a transgender black advocate. She has, I don't, I tell all my friends about her because I think her opinions are really cool. But she's just one voice out of a few, out of, well, out of more than a few. So start there if you want. 
That's good. All right. So as we do here to, to close up shop, we ask the guests to share one last bit of wisdom. It can be about anything you want, Eden. And to say our rallying cry, which is be a part and go do good things. So let's start with the wisdom piece and then we'll do the rallying cry. That assumes that I'm wise. Lately, I've been on a journey of what I'm calling radically affirming queer research. And I'm not a optimistic person. I am generally a cynic. I hate most things, but this is my academic endeavor to be optimistic. And it's my assumption that queer issues don't need defending. Trying to make a defense of it assumes that you have to. And engaging that conversation says far more about the person asking the question, like is homosexuality moral or those kinds of things than it does about people who are queer. Um, so I'm not giving space to those conversations. So what I would say is, if I'm trying to be wise here, recognize where you're spending time. We don't need to be defending queerness. We don't need to be defending blackness. I have no interest in defending the statement Black Lives Matter because it just is. Like, that's all that there is to say. If you want to have, not you, but if people want to have that conversation about like, well, what about all lives? And like, I don't care. You're not part of this conversation. And that's like, don't give it space, hun. <laughs> Be a part, go do good things.